Dear Heavenly Father, as little children, we know in part the awesome power and influence and might of thy spirit. And we pray for the power of thy spirit to communicate things that we all need to learn. So we ask that we might be sensitive, that our spirits might be sensitive to what it is thy spirit would do in this hour. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to be um, uh, pushed for time, I think. I'll make you a promise if you'll make me a promise. I'm going to uh, stop a few minutes before time's over so that you have plenty of time to go somewhere else. I always like to stop early. And secondly, uh, your promise to me is we're going to pass out a pretest, which I want you to take seriously, but don't open the booklet up and look further past the front page. Just fill out the pretest on the front page and wait. Okay? So if those of you that have the pretest would pass them out, I'd appreciate it. And if you wrote in pencil, you can erase them and change them after you hear the answers. Uh, I feel convicted as I stand here to start off with two two verses that just come to mind. The Apostle Paul once, I believe it was the Apostle Paul said, uh, I have not attained, and I have certainly not attained anything near the success that I'm going to be convicted at the end of this that I should, that I should be displaying. And the other verse, sort of an obscure verse, is by their own mouth they will condemn themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we're looking at uh, this morning. But the, thankfully the grace of God is... is inexhaustible. Uh, I believe the answer to all of those questions, every one of them, is no. And uh, as I go through my... I think, I think that's the, the true biblical understanding of it. And that will disturb a good number of you. And you'll come up to me later and argue with me, but I would advise you not to embarrass yourself. <laughs> because, because hopefully I'll convince you if not the spirit will eventually we're talking about um, the tug of war here between carnal thinking and spiritual thinking and you'll get a hopefully toward the end of this forum there, you may sense this warfare going on in your heart as we are talking about some of these things because they're very real they're very immediate um, so let's, let's, and oh, I wanted to specify carnal. By carnal, I don't necessarily mean, you know, sexual. Carnal is just bodily. The, the word carnal has to do with the body. So that has to do with your eating, drinking, sleeping, picking out clothes that are comfortable select uh, comfortable shoes would be a carnal decision. This would be a carnal thought. And so I don't mean carnal necessarily in the most vile sense. It's just that we are very much preoccupied with carnal thoughts in our everyday life. And we'll, we'll try to sort that out. So the good reputation. Uh, the, I want you to think about the following verses as you think about this question. The question for the purpose of the tape is a successful Christian should have a good reputation among the world. Uh, John 16, 12 says, they shall put you out of the synagogues. Christ is prophesying to what's going to happen to his d- disciples. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth thee, killeth you, will think that he doeth God's service. I think this was later in Christ's ministry. I don't think he started off telling people that. Uh, Acts 5.33, Peter was teaching uh, a group, uh, and their response was, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. I don't know if you've ever uh, had that experience. I I haven't, uh, that I know of, where an audience I spoke to was planning to slay me afterwards. Uh, Acts 26:24. This was uh, obviously Festus's response to Paul, and as he thus 
spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. If we are, if we are to be about the, 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 the king's work, um, we're, going to, we're going to be convicted to say things to people that are unpopular. And we're, we're going to offend, the, the word is going to offend people. This, the message is going to offend people. And we can be as, try to be as diplomatic as we can. I mean, obviously, the, there are lots of verses about, and we'll get into them later, about how to speak to people with kindness and your, your uh, conversation seasoned with salt and things like that. And the children of God will not strive. But the content is going to offend people. And that's what was happening here. And so if your ambition is to have a good reputation among everybody around you, uh, try to sort out what part of that ambition is carnal thinking, just for your own motives of influence and freedom of movement around your colleagues. We probably pull back some statements. We probably inhibit some taking some stands because we want to be able to move freely uh, and without embarrassment among our peers and our colleagues and our neighbors. So, we, you know, that's not, that's not the optimum of success in Christian living, as I understand this. Let's go on to question three. Oh, everybody brings out the... People talk about the uh, section in Timothy and Titus, I think both, where it talks about having a good reputation among uh, people for the, for the, the uh, deacons and bishops. I would understand that to mean that there is no evidence of you being corrupt or, or dishonest. That's far different to have no you know, crimes or no, no, no cheating or no dishonesty from the kind of reputation we're talking about in the first two questions, okay? Question three was, a successful Christian should be at the top of his or her trade, profession, or business. I would call your attention to 2 Timothy 2.4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Um, I... I recently read a book about the Nazarenes and, and their early days in Hungary. And uh, there was a, a man who had come to the more Western European countries to learn a trade. I believe it was locksmith or something. His name was Hensha. Henshi? Hensha? And uh, he went, he took the, he, he ran into these Nazarenes or this, these um, the followers of I don't know if they were even formulated by, organized by that time. But he was converted and he took this, this radical reformer theology back with him to Hungary and it exploded in the Balkan countries, in, in Hungary and Yugoslavia. We know that there were you know, huge numbers of, of, of believers in those countries and it just developed rapidly. And this, this person tells the story about how this Hensha traveled around. He would stop and work for some tradesman long enough to save just enough money to move on to the next place. And uh, he was basically destitute, poor. He wasn't piling up a big account in some 401 plan or he didn't have all kinds of mutual funds or retirement plan like probably I would guess most of us have. He was only working long enough to, to buy a ticket to go to another town. Or he walked to other towns. You can't imagine the poverty. And yet the church was growing in this region by leaps and bounds because of his sacrifice and the sacrifice of others in sharing this gospel. Today, in the 21st century and in the West, I would say we have a lot of incredibly wealthy members. 
There's a lot of prosperity in the church. But I think most of our churches are declining in number. And so I think that raises some some questions in my in my heart certainly and hopefully in all of us. Um, I think um, we need to ask ourselves what percentage of our daily occupation are we devoting to the spreading of the gospel and to uh, what Christ would, would want us to do. Sort of like Wednesday's lesson with that outline of, of your time. Uh, question four, a successful Christian will be wealthy and influential. Now let's start with the wealthy first. Second Corinthians 8, 14 but by an equality that now, now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance may also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. Um, I don't really think there is that kind of equality in the Christian world, and there isn't that kind of equality in the entire world. When you listen to those tapes of the uh, missionaries saying some people live on less than a dollar a day or two dollars a day, um, I think that's pretty convicting. And, uh, and in the class I was in, we had one, one brother wondering, you know, how he can build up a larger trust fund for his own security. And, well, let's face it, you know, these are, these are questions we all have to ask ourselves. These are are we being a successful Christian or are we lulled into a Western sort of industrialized view of, of safety and uh, prosperity and just on this endless treadmill to amass more and more? I asked that person, when you, when you got there, when you reached that amount, do you think you'll be content? I said, I, I'll bet, I would imagine there are people that, that have ten times what you would regard as the ideal amount that you would need to be secure, and they still want more. They still think they need a little bit more. So we, these are questions we have to de- deal with in, the, in these questions. And regarding influential, 1 Corinthians 2.14. Influential impre- influences a lot of us. In, in, in Brother David's forum, that, that, that little I... Uh, these are people that like to be influential. I think there are a lot of people in that category. And I think we all go in and out of that category from time to time. Well, let's look at the instructions here. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man considers these things foolish. And if you want to be influential among your peers you probably can't utter unbridled, unfiltered what the Spirit always inspires you to say. Can you? Or can you? Do we think we can? I have to say, I think most of the time we believe we can. We, all right, we can sugarcoat it. We can, we can run it through a few filters and so we're not quite so... In, Offensive because we want to be influential. We think, we think it's important to be influential. We're going to need that influence later in another day in another argument. So we inhibit saying what the Spirit may be prompting us to say. And that's very effective in getting us to inhibit every day. And we'll never get around to using that influence because we don't want to squander that influence for probably what we think are good reasons. Hmm, question, what question? Five. A successful Christian will feel good about his or her accomplishments. Um, Luke 17.10. So likewise ye, oh, by the way, these verses, you probably figured out are now on the inside of this book. You can, you can now open this up. I'm sorry. You wouldn't have to look all these up. Luke 17, 10. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded unto you, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. 
I can remember someone preaching about this many, many years ago, and I, I can still hear his voice say, well, I never expected to do all that was asked of me in the first place. Which it says, when, which you, when you shall have done all those things which were commanded you. But if you did, then how should you consider yourself? An unprofitable servant. Now, I think what that means, perhaps, is recognizing you know, the, the level of grace it took to, to redeem you. You can't buy it, you can't equal it, you can't purchase it. But the self-esteem shouldn't be so low, obviously, that you don't think you're even worthy of the level of grace that redeemed you in the first place. And that, you know, God not only wants to redeem you, but he wants to use you and reward you abundantly in heaven for furthering his, his plan, for being a part of his plan. One uh, tool that he uses regularly. So I think the proper uh, self-esteem is that you can't earn it and you'll never equal the gift, but that he still wants to use you and he wants to advance his kingdom through you. Now, I want to get to um, question six. A successful Christian will tell others about his or her accomplishments to be a good model for them. There is a, a, a verse in, in Matthew 6, 3 that says, But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. This verse is often violated, often overlooked. And I suspect when we do it, we justify it by saying, well, you know, we're, we're being a good example. We're, 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 and we always tack on at the end, uh, you know, by the grace of God, I was able to do this. Or I don't do this to glorify myself, but uh, this is all the things I've done. Uh, let me tell you a story, uh, an uh, experience that happened to me. When I was growing up, my best friend in the church was uh, Mark Schiller. Mark Schiller is currently uh, an elder brother in Pasadena, California. And I spent probably 400 afternoons in his house on Sunday afternoons, and he spent nearly as many in my house. And we were very, very good friends. His mother, I want to tell a few stories about his mother, Betty Schiller. Betty Schiller was a lime gruber. It was uh, Warner Lime Gruber's sister. And uh, she uh, was always a very loving, generous person, always smiling, happy, laughed a lot. When she, was, uh, when she died, I went to her funeral, and I learned a, a couple things about her that I had never known in all those 400 times I was in her home sitting around her table eating. When she was younger and still living in Switzerland, she apparently made arrangements to transfer an entire trainload of, of uh, uh, refugees for prisoners of war or something, exchanged an entire trainload of people. I don't know how she did that. I don't even know how you would go about doing that. But she, uh, you know, it's a, I thought that was a pretty magnificent thing to, to arrange that. But the, the bigger lesson for me is that in all those years I was in her home, she never mentioned it. You know, you would think, you got young boys growing up, you'd want to, Give them an example, a model. Say, you know, this was what the Lord was able to do through me. And uh, you'd think it would come up in a dinner conversation. You know, well, you know, when I was about your age or a little older back in Switzerland, whatever. Never mention it. Never mention it at all. Now let me tell you another part of uh, story about her. Mark was an only child. I think they had some foster children from time to time, but uh, Betty uh, worked as a nurse, full-time as a nurse, all the, all the time I knew her. And I didn't know why, you know, 
the the family was had some means. They they the grandparents and great grandparents back through time had uh, had had been quite wealthy, so they didn't really have any financial problems. They didn't need the money. I learned at her funeral that they used 100% of her salary as a nurse to donate to missions or some Christian cause. She worked so that they would have 100% of her salary to donate. Now that's a pretty impressive thing. But that isn't all that impresses me. That impresses me very much, but, the, but even more so, think of, consider this. Um, during those years, she must have heard many sermons about women staying at home and raising the family, raising the family, women being uh, mothers, full-time mothers, and the evils of, of, of working mothers, and, and they probably had forums or Bible classes where they talked about this. She kept her mouth shut. She never justified herself. I never heard this about them donating 100% of her salary until some family member at her funeral uh, uh, told it. I think this verse in Matthew 6.3 that we, we sort of dismissed so far, I see I haven't, been I haven't been keeping up with this, have I? No. I think we need to reassess that to be successful Christians. Maybe we dispel, I really believe this is true, maybe we dispel some of our energy to do future good things by relishing and rehearsing and telling the past good things we've done. Maybe we actually take away some of our energy to do something good in the future by repeating, what do they call it, resting on past laurels. And if we didn't permit ourselves that, maybe we would have more time, more, more motivation to, uh, to do more things in the future. Yeah, I, I really believe that's, that's, that would happen. All right. A successful Christian will be loved by everyone. 2 Corinthians 12, 15 says, and I think this is, this is really tragic and thought-provoking, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Who's, who's speaking? The Apostle Paul, and who's he speaking to? Heathens? Is he speaking to the Sanhedrin? The church. The church that he serves. I'm sure this is what, um, what we must expect if we are serving uh, in a spirit-led way. I think it's, it's just going to, it's going to be that way. And the final question was, a successful Christian will never make mistakes. 2 Corinthians 12.9, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The Apostle Paul had infirmities and weakness, and he discovered that, it, that, that God's strength was made perfect in that. So um, I think that um, <clears throat> that's, a, that's a better attitude to have than to say, if I have infirmities or weaknesses, I should be disabled, I should be... I should withdraw, I should pull back. You know, no, that's not what the Apostle Paul did. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I protest by your rejoicing. Wait a minute, did I skip a page? No, I didn't. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. This is, this is probably not overwhelming evidence that, that, that the Apostle Paul made mistakes. But um, the potential to make mistakes was what he was trying to kill off daily. And um, I don't know that there's anybody, I, I don't know too many people that would, would want to, I guess I know very few people that would want to argue they don't make any mistakes. I would like to have known none, but I, I do know at least one. And 
just judging by the laughter, I think you know what the condition, the position is. And finally, Luke 23, 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. This, you wonder what, how this fits in here, but I have, uh, I have experienced that on, on, your, on your most successful day, you know, th- this, Stephen said pretty much the same thing. The Spirit inspired them to say this, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think you, it's impossible to know fully what we do. And Take your most successful day. Take your mountaintop experience. When you, when you had the greatest spiritual thrill of actually maybe even being a part of, a, to, helpful to advance the kingdom of Christ. If you can go back and remember the day when, when that might have happened. I think the right attitude on that day, in that evening is to say this to yourself again. Father, forgive me, for I know not what I'm doing. There is a tremendous temptation on the mountaintop days to have a terrible crash the next day, to get sort of proud, to get sort of arrogant and say, you know, I'm I'm of some use here. I I really advanced the kingdom. This is is wonderful. And this is, is, you can expect it the day after, a mountaintop day. And so I think on the mountaintop day, if you adopt this attitude, that Jesus is actually even saying to his Father, for you on that day, on your best day, Father, forgive him or her, for they know not what they do. It's a better understanding of your finite ability to know what you're doing and to know the big plan. All right? <clears throat> now, that's, that's some pretty challenging ways of looking at it. I hope they're challenging, and I hope there's some, I hope there's some tension in, in the room. I hope there's some real, almost under-the-surface under boiling of anger. Because what we're talking about is, has the church, has the church shifted away from such a unique spiritual view of these things? And have we adopted some carnal arguments, some carnal reasoning? And are we pretty good at carnal living? Because what's basically going on here is the difference between being carnally minded and spiritually minded. So what is the measure? What is the measure of... uh, a successful Christian. That's the topic of this forum. Well, I would like, regarding deeds, I would like to call your attention to uh, Matthew 25. First of all, let's read, why don't we turn to Matthew 25, and we'll read 31 and 32 first. Jesus is speaking, and he's explaining something very, very powerful here. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them. Jesus is talking about himself and what he's going to do to separate them. He's revealing it here. Jesus is telling you the criteria he's going to use to separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Now, most of you know what's following, but let's jump down to 37 and read through 40. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now let's take a good hard look at this list. This is Jesus declaring how he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Feed the hungry, 
give the thirsty drink, take in a stranger, clothe the naked, visit the sick and those in prison. I have to ask myself, okay, when, when, when have I done that? When have I last done that? Have I done that ever? Have I ever done that? And I, w I would like to think of myself as a successful Christian, or I want to be a successful Christian before the big door slams on me. I'd like to at least, you know, make that mark before, before I die. Well, I think I've got a lot of work to do. I personally have a lot of work to do. I think this is, this comes from Isaiah, too, which, which Isaiah prophesied what Jesus was going to do when he came. It's very hands-on, very direct help and contact with people. And I think the next question I have to ask myself is, what percentage of my time do I spend sort of polishing the theology? What percentage of my time do I spend, you know, struggling for unity and peace and, and some of these things? I don't read anything in here about having a f feeling of peace. I think a feeling, don't misunderstand me, I think a feeling of peace is important. I don't read anything in here about having a body of believers unified. But I think having a body of believers unified is important. But is it, what's more important and, and what is attainable and what isn't attainable? And what percentage of your time should you be devoting to it? So I think in the category of deeds, He's spelled out the deeds that he wants to see. And I think I need to just simply ask myself, have I ever done these, or how often have I done these? Am I ever going to do them in the future? And you're, we're all familiar with the verse in James 2, 17 through 18, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show my faith by thy works. Or the other section where it says, be filled and, and warm or something, but you don't give them anything, what good is it? So as we're assessing what, what, how are we going to measure success then, what is the measure, the metrics, as Brother Otto said, I think, I think deeds have to go in there. Can anybody think of any other verses uh, that, would, uh, that would go in this section also? We have uh, room for... A couple of other verses that I'd like to add to this. Anybody else think of deeds that, that we should use to measure Christian success? Is it on the back? The last verse in James 1 was said way in the back. I, hmm? Do you have it? James 1.27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their afflictions and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Anybody else have a... Would someone like to carry this around? for me so that I can follow my notes. Thank you. We'd like to have maybe one more verse here. The Beatitudes? Okay, we can put the Beatitudes in there. That's great, thank you. All right. Um, words. How would, how would you measure success in a Christian's, with a Christian's words? Uh, I've got some, and then I'll, uh, again, we'll ask for a couple. James 5.12 says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Colossians 4.6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. 
This made a reference to this earlier. James 1.19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And uh, 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you. Let's take a look at that one for just a minute. Be ready always. Does that always mean that when you're in a good mood? Or when you aren't just ticked off by something that just happened to you? Or when you're in a hurry? That's, that's very convicting to me. Be ready always to give an answer to who? To, to, to who? Everybody but that employer that might be offended and, and, and not give you the promotion? Should you give this answer to everybody but a coworker that can make things miserable for you? You know, I think the, 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 the Christian church that, that, that thrived, that, that grew like wildfire, was full of people that were quick to give an answer to everybody and, and careless about the political consequences. The henshies of this world were probably thought of as nuts by a lot of the people in the community, the mayor, this and that. Um... We don't have too many, I don't believe we have, we have too many apostolic Christians right now who are thought of as nuts. They're admired. They're at the top of, of, of everything. They're wealthy, they're successful, they're chairing committees. They're, they're, they've blended in very well and the church is sputtering and falling apart. You know, these aren't, these aren't pleasant things to talk about maybe and, and it's offensive it's, there's a carnal war going on in this conversation and a spiritual war and uh, we just have to go back and reassess this I think, I think did you have a hand up back there? Take, well would you read it and then we'll pass that back to you and just comment what your thoughts are on this uh, the Apostle Paul says, But I will come unto you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. I just was wondering if, what, what your thoughts were, how this interleaved with words as a measure. Well, uh, th that person speaking that, that wrote that, had somebody fall out of a balcony, probably from from boredom, uh, and die. So, yeah. Um, and back when, the, back when the church was growing and, and thriving, didn't, don't we remember people complaining about these long sermons and seven-minute prayers and all the things that really aggravate me personally? I do personally get real antsy after it goes, you know, like after 20 minutes. I'll make a confession to you, and it probably shouldn't, but I actually sometimes pray that the, that the preacher would stop <laughs> after it gets too long. I mean, now, is, that, is that right? I don't think that's right. That's not right. If you know me, you, you know that probably doesn't surprise you, but that's wrong, and I shouldn't do that. What was... what? What were people doing when the church was thriving, and what are they doing as the church is collapsing? Tony, has, has... give us the reference, please. James uh, 3.10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Ought not so to be. I can't think of the reference in John, but it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So all our words come from the source of our heart. And so the, the power would come from where our heart is. Its sincerity, its effectiveness is the condition of our heart first, and then the words will be uttered. Okay. Um, I, we have to move just... Thank you. And we'll move a few, through a couple more things rather rapidly here because I promised to um, get you out a little early. When this is over at... 20 till or something? Okay. Thoughts. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mean mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This servant attitude and this humble attitude is obviously well known to be a measure of success for a Christian. And I would like to point out not just a a humility by a, a physical observation, but a genuine humility. It's not hard for a person to tilt the head forward slightly and off to an angle and wear plain clothes and look gloomy. But that isn't humility. It may look, it may coincide with a really a genuinely humble heart, but just the appearance is not humility. Uh, there's a lot of false humility, I think, going on while we are secretly in our hearts uh, trumpeting ourselves and proud of ourselves. And, uh, you know, God's not fooled, and our prosperity as a Christian will not be fooled. You, you can't bend the rules and expect to prosper spiritually. Um, Philippians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. This with thanksgiving is something that came up in the first lesson this week, uh, that our prayers ought to be filled with thanksgiving. And what happens is a thankful heart, a genuinely thankful heart, sets the stage for future blessings opens up future blessings and a humble heart is is the opens the valve for the free flow of the spirit because we know that God does what to the proud but does what to the humble resists the proud and gives grace to the humble and the thing that's a, that's a warfare here is this Romans 8:6 regarding our thoughts for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace here again Let's look at the difference between what is truly spiritually minded and what is only image conscious. Notice it doesn't say in here, it doesn't define what carnally minded is. It doesn't say, okay, you can have, uh, you know, you can can spend up to 30% of your net income without slipping over into being carnally minded. But you go 31%, you're carnally minded. Or it doesn't, it doesn't give any, any dimensions because it isn't measurable in that way. I can, I can envision a, a, a person who is dressed very, very properly, you know, um, black and white and, and buttoned up to the throat, no tie, um, very, very traditionally dressed, sitting there looking over the crowd and saying, look at that person, how they're dressed. Look at that person, how they're dressed. Look at that liberty. They're carnally minded. All they're thinking about is all the violations they're seeing. They themselves may be dressed properly, but they are carnally minded if that's what they're thinking about. If they're assessing that in everybody else. If they're preoccupied with that. Haven't thought of spiritual thing in years because they're too busy keeping track of everybody's appearance and and everybody's behavior. And I can see a new Christian, maybe somebody that we brought in from not our church background, who may be kind of naive and kind of clumsy and they may be dressed, they may have forgotten some dress code thing but they may be tremendously spiritually minded. Does that mean we say, okay, forget the dress code? No. We go up to them and in love nurture them to understand what's appropriate dress code. But he's talking about how you're minded here, not how you appear only. And you can be carnally minded and look perfectly proper. So let's talk about you know, what, what is successful Christian living. Now, appearance. We just talked a little bit about appearance. Appearance. I don't remember where it comes from. I think it's Second Corinthians ten five, isn't it? Something like. That. Let's see if that's it. I'm. I don't have them well memorized, but Doug, Doug, uh, you probably know is that what it is. 
Hmm? Second Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. Let me read that. 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Okay, thank you. I have to move just a little bit faster. Uh, regarding appearance, we did talk about appearance there some, and believe me, I love and support most of our appearance code, and I think it's proper, and I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's appropriate for uh, radical reform Anabaptist theology, and I think it should be championed and supported forever. I think it's part of, of a public testimony to the world around us, but uh, what I want to talk about here is um, second, 1 Peter 2.9 but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his joy. Do you show forth the praises of him? And how do you do it? First Peter 3, 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Meek and quiet spirit, showing forth the praises of God, this would be very contagious. This would be very successful if we would do that. And what is the second item in the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians? The second item, joy, joy. I really feel sorry for some of our ministers many days. They have to stand up in the pulpit and look across a sea of faces. Some of them look like their bowels have locked up about a week ago. <laughs> Miserable people. Miserable people. Is this the joy of Christ? How can a minister be enthusiastic? I, don't judge by him. That's how you do it, Brother Bob. Okay, thank you. <laughs> now, um, we talked a little bit about reputation and the, and the fact that certainly the, ever, all Christians, but especially the deacons and bishops, should have a good report of them with our out, that are without. But again, don't get that mixed up with, you know, uh, maybe a dynamo businessman who's, who's worth uh, $60 million. That means a person who has never been caught with his hand in the j cookie jar, who's not been, uh, has not been criminal. Or, or evil or dishonest. Uh, but I don't see, you know, okay. Uh, th there is one section I w would like to um, call attention to very quickly. Peter Munther wrote an article in The Messenger a few months back, and he called our attention to Acts 20, 22 through 24. I want to read that. Acts 20, 22 through 24. And now behold, I go bound, this is Paul speaking, go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. We know, don't we? But he, he didn't. He said he didn't. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So he had some warnings of this. He was given an abundance of revelations, wasn't he? He knew some of the basic things that were going to happen to him. But none of these things move me. Imagine you're on your way to Rome. You know you're going to be in bonds and afflictions. And none of these things move him. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with what? With what? Who has this memorized? So I might finish my course with joy. Does he know what joy means? Is, he, is this a mistake here? The Apostle Paul saying that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Yes, the Apostle Paul did know what joy means, and we don't. It's as simple as that. Carnally-minded people don't know what joy is. They've got it. They're distracted with what joy is. And uh, spiritually-minded people do know what joy is. 
but it doesn't look the same. And we have been absorbed by the media and the Western uh, philosophies to get all of these things blurred and mixed up. And I speak not as one who has attained, but I'm trying to reveal, toss out some, some probably systemic, some very basic organic reasons why we're dwindling and sputtering. And uh, you know, they're not, there's no magic, there's no quick fix, no magic bullet, no pill to take. We gotta get back to these spiritual roots so the last page on this little handout is an act, is a action plan for yourself. I would recommend that you very shortly write down here a few things you intend to do to change the picture in your life. And chances are only one of you in this crowd of maybe 45 will do it. But that one person will be better off. And I would write down some commitments here and see if it changes. When I was editing The Messenger, this, this, this uh, Latin phrase was, was the motto on The Messenger, res non verba. Who knows what that means? Who's, where's the Latin scholars? Res non verba. Non verba should be clear, no word, not words. Res is deeds or action. Action, not words. I think we should deliberately limit the amount of time we talk about all the good things so that we don't satiate or don't burn up our, don't satisfy ourselves with all this talk, but that we do some good deeds. Do the deeds, don't talk about them. Remember the marvelous example of Betty Schiller. I mean, I lived my whole life and never knew that about her and found out at her funeral. That's the way it should be. And there should be a lot of deeds by the time the big door slams on us. A lot of deeds. And I'm sure there are. And then we need to add more. So I speak to myself first. And I invite you to come up to me and challenge me and say, Hey, Paul, don't be a hypocrite. Let's get, yes? You know, um, I think if I... I'm pretty good at uh, multiple choice questions. I immediately realized that they should all be false. But I answered one true. And I guess I was, for lack of any better word, I was suckered by the verse which says in Matthew 5:16, "Let your light so shine before men that you may see that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven." And I thought it probably be very unreasonable to assume they're going to glorify my Father in heaven without appreciating what I have done, and therefore gives me to the world a good reputation. That's all. That's what I answered true. Well, I think one out of eight, you're, you're at about a B then. <laughs> Thanks very much.